You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. you read the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is just a a record of the Israelites repeatedly being delivered by God. God does something for them because they're crying out in need. He delivers them, and then they turn around and worship other gods. We're prone to it. We're prone to it. Another verse, maybe you've heard this one. Uh, You find it in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Maybe maybe you've heard of this one. Here's here's the way it goes. Uh, You shall have no other gods before me. It's surprising that John the Apostle, a founding member of the early church, would make the mistake of worshiping anything other than Jesus. Yet that's exactly what happens in today's passage. As Pastor Danny warns, you shouldn't be too quick to judgment. If you were in his place, face to face with one of God's glorious angels, you'd likely be tempted to do the same. Even the temporary works of man draw your praise and admiration, so be careful. Christ alone should hold that place in your heart. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, as he begins his message, Created to Worship. Find your way there, Revelation chapter 19. It's one of those um, times where we do a serious pause in our study and focus in, hone in on one particular verse. But before we do, one of the best little books I've ever read, it's called The Air I Breathe by a fellow named Louis Giglio. He opens this way, you, my friend, are a worshiper. There, I said it. Every day, all day long, in every place you worship, it's what you do. It's who you are. So if by chance you have only a few seconds to glance at this book, that's what it's all about. We're all worshipers created to bring pleasure and honor to the God who made us. You may not consider yourself a worshiping kind of person. You didn't sing during the song service. But you cannot help but worship something. It's what you were made to do. Should you, for some reason, choose not to give God what he desires, you'll worship anyway, simply exchanging the creator for something he has created. Think of it this way. Worship is simply about value. The simplest definition I can give is this. Worship is our response to what we value most. That's why worship is that thing we all do. It's what we're all about on any given day. Worship is about saying, this person, this thing, this experience, this whatever is what matters most to me. It's the thing of highest value in my life. That thing might be, listen carefully, a relationship, a dream, a position, status, 
Oh, here we go. Something you own. A name. A job. Some kind of pleasure. Whatever name you put on it, this thing is what you've concluded in your heart is worth most to you. And whatever is worth most to you is, you guessed it, what you worship. Back to chapter 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel, the angel that's giving John the apostle the revelation we call the book of the revelation, the angel said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And then he added, these are the true words of God. And we looked at the wedding supper of the lamb two weeks ago. But verse 10, look at this. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. Whoa, that's fascinating. But he said to me, don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, exclamation point. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There's our verse for the morning. It's fascinating. This is John the Apostle. This is not some new believer. This is not some wishy-washy, half-hearted, lukewarm Christian. This is John the Apostle, the aged, mature Apostle. And he falls at the feet of an angel to worship the angel. Really? Now, you go back to Revelation 18, and you look at this, verse 1. After this, John says, I saw another angel. This is the angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority. Bad dude. And the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He's glorious. John is so taken by this angel that he falls at the angel's feet to worship. And the angel has to correct him. Get up. Now get this. He does it not just once. He does it twice. Revelation chapter 22. Take a peek. Further revelation. John sees the new Jerusalem. Heaven coming down. Amazing revelation. And then verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, second time, don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. We got the first point right away. You you, got to see this. I mean, it's just right there. We are all prone to worship something or someone other than God, including the likes of the aged, mature apostle, John. He had to be corrected, not just once, he had to be corrected twice. And if he had to be corrected, don't be surprised. If you've never found the verse, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, you need to write it down. You need to get that one in your heart and in your head. Jeremiah 17, 9, here's what it says. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Why in the world are we so prone to worship things or people other than God? Because 
that's our nature. Our fallen nature. We're messed up. We're messed up. Even John, this committed apostle, fails as he falls to worship this angel. You go back in the history of the Old Testament, the Israelites, and isn't it amazing? Uh, they worship, listen, a calf. Or oh, it's a golden calf. It was still a calf. And they made it. Well, one of the prophets says, have you considered that you fashioned this thing and then you bowed down to it? How ludicrous. But that's what they did. But it's a nice car. I mean, the way they made this car. Look at that car. And you can worship, you can worship a car. Not anybody here, of course. <laughs> you can worship a boat. I always got to bring that up. You know, you they worshiped a calf. They, they fashioned the thing and then they bowed down to it. I mean, ludicrous, but they did it. And right after God delivered them from Egypt, that's when they did it. Right after God did something wonderful for them. And then they worshiped this calf. If you know the story of Gideon, Gideon, at the end of the victory God gives them, uh, has this golden ephod and the people began to worship the golden ephod that Gideon had made. Then after Gideon died, right after he died and his leadership was gone, they began to worship Baal. And you read the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is just a record of the Israelites repeatedly being delivered by God. God does something for them because they're crying out in need. He delivers them, and then they turn around and worship other gods. We're prone to it. We're prone to it. Hey, another verse, maybe you've heard this one. Uh, you find it in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Maybe, maybe you've heard of this one. Here's, here's the way it goes. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now let's hone in really directly, specifically in our text. As John falls to worship at the feet of an angel. Do you know there's a specific book in the New Testament that includes a warning and the consequences, at least in that particular church, of worshiping angels? You're looking interested. Okay, Colossians. Chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Just a couple of verses, but they say a lot. Verse 18, Colossians chapter 2. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Then he describes what these people that worshiped angels in the church in Colossae what they were like. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen spiritually. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up. He's proud with idle notions. And this is serious. He's lost connection with the head. That would be Jesus. From whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. In the church in Colossae, some people were worshiping angels. Why? Well, this thing came because of all the, the, the trade people that came through this main route that went by Colossae. And these oriental traders, they had these crazy mystical thoughts. And, and a thing called Gnosticism came out of it. Gnosticism, just from the word gnosis, it means to know. 
And they believe that you had to have this divine spark to escape the material world. But even with this divine spark, you had to gain some inside gnosis, knowledge, knowledge. But they would say, well, we're not good enough to go directly to God who lives outside of the material world. And so what they would do in Gnosticism is they would seek to go through an angel. And they would try to contact the angel so that the angel would take their request to God. And in doing so, they would be elevated and become more spiritual. But what happened, what happened, this is real. I mean, it really happened in history in Colossae, is these people would tell you about their spiritual experiences. As a matter of fact, every time you're around them, they're going to give you their spiritual experience and their knowledge. And what happened is a false humility. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. I don't hang out with people who every time I'm with them are going to tell me how much they know spiritually and how great their spiritual experience was. I'm not talking about sharing testimony of what Jesus has done in your life. I'm talking about people who, oh, I had this vision and God gave me this insight. And you get around them and and they're always telling you. And what they're doing is they're portraying themselves as so much more spiritual than you. And they've got that divine spark and they've got the gnosis that you want, but you don't have. They've lost connection with the head. They're not really spiritual. They're unspiritual. The mark of a truly spiritual person who worships God is humility. Let me take you to a text, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostle Paul, I don't know anybody in the New Testament that had more spiritual experiences than the apostle Paul. He tells us about one here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. That's where the throne of God is. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I'll boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. In other words, it really happened. Not making it up, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Now, why is Paul telling them now? Well, if you study the context of 2 Corinthians, he's defending his apostolic ministry for the sake of wayward Corinthians. And he didn't tell them about this experience for 14 years, 14 years. And the only reason he tells them here is to add weight to the authority God has given them him for building them up, not for tearing them down. Second Corinthians 12 verse seven is very practical. Paul says to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan 
to torment me. What happened in Colossae when they worshiped angels? They became spiritually proud. It was a false humility. They were really proud. Paul says because of the tremendous spiritual experiences he's had, including being caught up to heaven, whether in the body, out of the body, he doesn't know, but he was caught up there. He saw things amazing, and he didn't tell anybody for 14 years. And to keep him from being conceited, God gave him a thorn in his flesh. If you've been given great privilege and great spiritual insight, don't be surprised if God doesn't give you a thorn in the flesh to keep you humble. So it's not a great outline, but I think it's a great message. (laughs) One of the dangers of glorious spiritual experiences is spiritual pride. But there's a second. Boy, is it practical. And I was led by the Lord to Matthew chapter 17 to illustrate this one because I don't know a better place to illustrate it than Matthew chapter 17. Verse 1, Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, you got to love Peter. Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put three shelters up. I'll build three houses. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him, exclamation point. In other words, Peter, shut up. (laughs) Peter, you find him talking at times when he should just be listening. But he gets his big foot in his big mouth and he gets in trouble. And he does here. But it's it's an amazing, glorious experience, isn't it? It's a godly experience. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're seeing the glory of Jesus for who he really is. But Peter makes the mistake of forgetting about the wife, forgetting about the kids, forgetting about the ministry back down the mountain. And what he wants to do and what he suggests, this is great. Let's just live here. I appreciate that. Most of you know, I remind you occasionally how old I am. I'm 61. I announced at the old church, even though I didn't want to do it, it wasn't my desire. Last thing in the world I wanted to do was retire. But with that said, I do think about it, especially when we go do ministry in Montana, like we did a few weeks ago, and then drive from Montana to Banff. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've seen pictures, but the pictures don't do it justice. It's absolutely, here's the word, (laughs) glorious. It's glorious. I come outside in the little condo we're staying at because we're getting some R&R between the ministry in Montana and the ministry in Banff, taking a little vacation time, spend my own money, rent a little condo. We walk out and every morning the mountains are right there, just right there. And I said to my wife, I could look at this Every single day, 
and not get tired of it. And you know what? I was glorifying the Lord. We'd go on hikes and we'd go on walks and I'd be praising the Lord and thanking the Lord. And it was a good experience. It was a glorious experience. The danger is you just want to stay there. My dream in my older age, which I'm not there yet, (laughs) is to be able to travel, sell the house here, get a camper. It's going to take a miracle because my wife is not willing at this point. So some of you need to talk to her. A couple came up last night and said they're part of our fellowship. And they said, you know, we live in a camper now. We sold the house. I said, go talk to my wife. Start to get her ready for the future. And I'll pastor here as long as God tells me to stay. At least that's my intention. But one day, one day when I'm old, my dream is to be able to travel around and visit churches, especially in the Calvary family, but also outside the Calvary family. It's ultimately one church. And to be able to encourage young pastors, and if they give me an opportunity to teach the Word, I'll teach the Word. That's my dream. But sometimes, even a good, godly experience or a good thing in life, it can backfire. Because we end up saying... This is what I want to do. And we end up doing it. But the question is, are we doing it? Listen, in the will of God. Peter's mistake was in the glorious experience on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration to say, it's good to be here. Let's just stay here. Forget the wife. Forget the kids. Forget everything. Stuff down in the valley. Let's just stay here on the mountain of glory. Now, if you want to really get angry at me and get upset, then I'll allow you to because I'll drive this thing home. The American dream is not to be found in the Bible. See, I just made some of you mad. Look, if God lets me get a camper one day and God does a miracle in my wife's heart and says, okay, I'm willing, let's go. But what I ultimately want is God's will. If God wants me to stay here till I'm 90 and you keep listening to me and I'm Tell you the truth, I've been looking at some of you for many years, and you've been listening to me for many years, and I'm, I'm tired of looking at you sometimes, and you're tired of listening to me. So wouldn't you pray that the will of God would be one day we get the camper, and somebody else comes in that's fresh and new, and I'll stop in every now and then and say hi and tell you about the glorious experience we had on the road. And then when you get old, we'll just get a team of campers. Some of us will all go, and we'll just have a caravan. Here goes the Calvary Chapel Fellowship. <laughs> Making its way. And we'll head to the Virgin Islands and visit some of our friends in the Virgin Islands. The challenge, the challenge is that even good and glorious godly experiences can backfire. In the Colossian church, they became spiritually proud and got way off. Instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping angels. Thank God this angel does not let John worship him. He said, get up, get up, don't do that. Sometimes the desire for the experience is a desire that is out of the will of God. Gives you the experience, is glorious, but he said, hey, but that's not where I want you to live. That's not where I want you to stay. There's need down here. So for those of us at that age when we're looking to just live out the American dream, I caution you, I challenge you, As I've been challenged, ask God what His will is.
We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience, and thanks for tuning in today. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of The Living Word? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. Please pray also for us. We want to continue following God's plans for this program, no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to The Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as to not distract from the Word. That does incur some costs, however. So if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any amount is used for this ministry and is greatly appreciated. Thanks for praying about this. While you're at our website, you'll be able to listen to additional teachings from this series in Revelation, as well as learn more about the Living Word. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We pray God continues to bless you as you study His Word and open your heart to His love and grace. Thanks for listening today to The Living Word.